All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into GoodRanchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick and to get that deal and let's get on with the show. Hi, this is Nick Freitas and welcome back to Making the Argument. Today, we're going to answer all of your questions on free trade, fair trade, protectionism, and of course, how all this affects lumber prices, right? Before we do that, I just want to make you aware of something. If you're ever, if, if listening to me ramble on for 45 minutes to an hour is just too much, but you would like to get some of these ideas in short three-minute snippets, and I want you to go check out the Why Minutes. Why Minutes is another program where we do, we take an interesting topic, such like the one we're doing today, but we illustrate the points in about a three-minute story where we explain uh, an underlying principle and hopefully show you something in a perspective that you've never considered before. So the Why Minutes, check that out. All right, let's go into free trade. So this is an area where for, gosh, most of the last 100 years, most economists were kind of on the same sheet of music with respect to, to free trade, at least in the United States. Not everybody, obviously, but there was a general consensus. Um, and typically, on the right, you have a lot of respect for free markets, but there's also kind of this protectionist angle that, that comes out with respect to protecting your industry against whatever it might be, protecting your country, protecting your economy against cheap imports, or maybe other countries are putting tariffs on your producers, but you know, we're not putting them on theirs, and is that fair? And, and the big question here is, is, falls along a couple of lines. One is, economically, what makes the most sense, right? Between all these different ideas of, of trade, what makes sense when we talk about international trade from an economic perspective? Right. Another perspective has to do with things like patriotism. Right? Should we have a special fealty for products or services that are produced here in the United States? And then there's also a moral component. Right? So we're going to be talking about all three, the economic side, the patriotic side, the moral side, as we discuss the different views and approaches to trade. So first and foremost, what is free trade? Free trade is essentially the ability to engage in exchange with somebody else, and generally, again, when trade obviously takes place domestically as well, every time you make a transaction, that's a trade. But a lot of times when we talk about trade policy, we're talking about international trade. So free trade would be, there's no tariffs, taxes, or restrictions on your goods and services when you sell it in our country, and you don't put any tariffs, taxes, or restrictions on our products when we sell it in your country, right? That's free trade, right? Now, a lot of people talk about fair trade, and that's the idea, and the the concept behind it is generally associated with the fact that free trade usually doesn't happen with respect to most products, right? There's always some sort of economic carve-out or set-asides or, you know, maybe, you know, we're, we're, we sell a bunch of stuff over there, but, uh, or excuse me, they, uh, foreign country sells a bunch of stuff in the United States, but then they put up protectionist barriers, which prevents us from selling our products in their country. And so 
fair trade is kind of this concept, um, I, I would almost call it like an ideal, where the rules apply across the board. So if you have a tariff, then we have a tariff. If you have a restriction, then we have a restriction, right? And, and it kind of mirrors the policy of each individual country. So that, that's what fair trade, as, as I understand it, is trying to achieve. And there's what we call protectionist policy. And protectionist policy is essentially when the government comes in and says, we're going to actively restrict trade, and ostensibly it's for the benefit of domestic industry. Okay, so you might see this in the form of a sugar tariff, right? We have sugar tariffs in the United States, which says that if you're going to produce sugar overseas and then sell it in the United States, we tax it at a higher level in order to protect the American sugar industry, right? And you, you see this all over the world, countries engage in it. That's, that philosophy is built around this idea that if you can somehow give your, your people, your industry, a competitive advantage with respect to trade through government policy. And again, usually this comes in the form of either uh, tariffs or taxes on foreign products, or it comes in the form of government subsidies to domestic industries. So for instance, a tariff is if an American wants to buy a product made in, we'll say Singapore, the government comes in and says, okay, Singapore company, you can sell that product in, in America, but we're gonna charge you a 20% tariff and that elevates the price so what ends up happening is it's not the Singapore country necessarily that pays that, it's the American consumer. So now when I go to the store, I could have bought that product for 20% cheaper, but now I buy it 20% more expensive than it otherwise would have been. And again, generally that's because maybe there's an American industry producing the same product, but they don't produce it as cheaply as the Singapore com company. And so we raise the tax on the Singapore product to bring it in line with the American product or even maybe make it more expensive than the American product. Right, so that's, that's a tariff way to engage in protectionism. Another way to gain in that kind of protectionism is to subsidize a domestic company. So you say, okay, the taxpayers are, we're, we're gonna put so much tax dollars into a particular industry, right? Maybe it's solar panels. We're gonna put a bunch of tax dollars into that industry and that's gonna make it more competitive either domestically or in a world market. Right, so that, that's another way the government can engage in trying to give uh, you know, favor to a domestic industry over a foreign industry, all right? So a lot of people look at that and they think, well, that seems to make sense, right? If, you know, if we're allowing a foreign country to sell all their products over the United States without any restrictions or any additional taxes or anything like that, and then our companies go over to that country and try to sell products and then they raise all kinds of tariffs, well, that's not fair. And so we should raise the taxes on their products as like almost a form of, of punishment or a way to support our domestic industry. The question is, is does it work, right? Because on a moral level, that seems to make sense. You don't want to do business with me, fine. We're not going to do business with you. And here's what I'd say on, on the moral side. And this is also on the, on the economic side. On the, on the moral side, we get it, right? It's not fair that you're putting me at a competitive disadvantage, right? When we're not putting you at a competitive disadvantage. So I completely understand the frustration associated with that, right? And I share that frustration. I want countries to, again, apply the same rules to us that we're applying to them. If we're making it easy for them to sell products in our country, I want them to make it easy for us to sell products in their country, right? I, I get the moral component there. Here's the economic reality, right? And, and again, this is, I'm, I'm not making a, a moral question of this. I'm just explaining it is what it is, right? And you can take this however you want it. It turns out, <laughs> that if even if a country is 
not allowing you to sell products within their borders without high tariffs or high restrictions or whatever, whatever else it might be. But you're allowing them to sell in yours without those additional restrictions. It doesn't help your country to then tell your consumers, well, in retaliation for the fact that that country is not allowing us to sell goods and products from America, we're not going to allow them to sell goods and products in the United States. That doesn't actually help your country. Now, you could make an argument that if you get into a trade deal and your, your strategy is essentially to say, look, if you're not going to lower tariffs on ours, then we're going to put tariffs up on yours. And if that convinces them to lower their tariffs, then that's good for both countries. If they refuse to lower their tariffs and you raise yours, that actually hurts both countries. Let me demonstrate this through just a, a basic example, right? And a lot of people say, well, this is overly simplistic. It really isn't, right? The, the principle remains. Let's say that, you know, you're a farmer and you, you have a couple of different crops. Maybe you have corn, maybe you have wheat, soybeans, whatever it is. And let's say there's a, a local grocery store that you shop at. So you do all your grocery shopping at that grocery store and you also sell that grocery store some of your corn, right? They, they buy your corn. And one day, the owner of the grocery store comes to you and says, hey, I'm sorry, we're not going to buy your corn anymore. Um, you know, maybe we're going to buy it from a different supplier, or maybe we're going to try to grow it ourselves, and, and we're going to try to just, uh, you know, produce that in-house. Now, in that moment, you're upset, right? You just lost a customer. That's someone that is no longer being, buying your corn. Now, here's the question you got to ask yourself. Does that mean you are no longer going to go to that grocery store and buy milk and eggs and bread and beef or whatever else it is you get from the grocery store? Now, if there's another grocery store close by, maybe that's exactly what you do. Maybe you go to a different grocery store. Um, but maybe the other grocery store is a lot more expensive. So this begs the question, are you better off by paying more for all of your groceries, by maybe ordering it from somewhere else, or maybe taking a longer drive to a different grocery store, or going to a grocery store where maybe they don't have the products you want, but it's kind of similar, or maybe it's more expensive. Are you better off by refusing to do business with the company that is no longer doing business with you? Chances are you're not. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that everything is still equal. Obviously, the relationship that you have with that grocery store isn't as good as it used to be because it used to be that you were trading with them and they were trading with you. Now, you're just taking stuff from them, right? They were buying your products, you were buying theirs. Now, you're just buying their products, right? So, there's a trade imbalance. But the question you have to ask yourself is, would you be better off by refusing to get the things that that grocery store provides or by paying higher prices to go somewhere else? Have you helped your situation or have you hurt your situation? Well, I would argue that you've actually hurt your situation. Now, you've not only lost a customer for your particular product, but now you've lost a source of the products you want to buy. Now, again, you may, you may decide for yourself that it's worth it. You may say, you know what? I don't care. I'm not doing business with them because I don't like how they treated me. Or you might decide that, okay, fine, if they're not going to buy my corn, I'll sell it to somebody else or, you know, whatever it is. There's a there's hundred different responses that you could have to that grocery store that is no longer buying your corn, but still has products and services that make your life better that you want to buy. The question behind tariffs or government restrictions on trade is not whether or not you individually want to make that decision. Now a third party, the government is coming in and making the decision for you. So now let's say you, you think to yourself, gosh, this really stinks. 
The grocery store is no longer buying my corn, but I still like the prices for the other things I get there. There's still a reason to keep that relationship open. So I'm, I'm going to continue to shop there and, you know, we'll work it out. But then the government comes in and says, no, 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 you're not allowed to shop there anymore because we don't like what they did to you. Has the government made you better off by taking that decision away from you and making it for you? No, they haven't. You, you are financially, you are economically worse off because someone else has come in and restricted that trade. Now, again, you, you can be mad, you can be morally outraged at the fact that they no longer want to buy your stuff, but you still want to buy theirs. But your life is not made better by refusing to do business with them in whatever capacity still makes you know, is still good for you. And there, that is a similar arrangement with respect to international trade. Right? It might be that China or Singapore or Germany or whatever, it might be that they don't want a certain U.S. product or they want to raise the tariffs in order to protect their own industry. But that doesn't automatically mean that it's better for America or better for Americans if we restrict trade on the products that we want to buy from Germany. Because again, when we talk about trade, it's very important to remember something. Trade in almost every case is not the United States trading with Singapore or trading with Germany. That's not what's going on. It's not two countries showing up to each other's borders with a pile of goods saying, all right, well, what do you want and what do you got over there and I'll trade. That's not what's going on. What's going on is people in the United States, people in Germany, people in Singapore are shopping for something. And when they shop for something, they want as big a marketplace as possible so they can get the best product for the best price. And so even if someone is not treating you as well as they could, even if someone is not treating you as good as they could, that doesn't mean that there's no longer any financial incentive or benefit from engaging in whatever trade is still allowed. So it's really important to remember that from an economic standpoint. And a lot of people hear this and they bristle and they're like, no, we're not being treated fairly. And so we should shut it down. If you still want to do that, that's fine. What I want you to be aware of is the economic reality of that. Because the economic reality is you are now making yourself worse off than the original interaction already made you, right? Them, them shutting down trade with you in one, in one sector made you worse off. You're now making yourself even more worse off by shutting down trade with them in another area that is beneficial. Okay, now again, there is something to be said for if you're sitting across the negotiating table, because this is the part where governments are involved. There's something to be said for saying, if you're gonna treat us a certain way, we're gonna treat you a certain way, but only if it works toward getting a freer trade system, right? Because in every situation, if you, if you really think about it, all of us want free trade. We wanna be able to interact with one another with as little interference from anybody else as possible. We certainly don't want third parties coming. I would never want my neighbor coming in and going, hey, Nick, I've decided you're not allowed to buy that brand. Why? Well, because I've decided for you that it's not good. Well, no, you don't get to make that decision. I get to make the decisions for me on what products and services I want to buy, and you get to make that decision for you. Now, here's the other side. For anybody that thinks that, well, now we're just letting all these other countries off the hook, right? Now, they've now made their economy stronger. And yeah, I, maybe you say, okay, I get it. I get it. You know, we're, we're doubly worse off by raising tariffs or, or trade restrictions on them. But now, aren't they doubly better off? No. And here's why, all right? So 
let's look at it from the tariff perspective and let's look at it from the subsidy perspective, right? Is a country better off when they're protectionist, but the person they're trading with is free trade, right? Does the protectionist automatically end up better as a result of that? Because they're still getting what they want from us, but now they're, now they're not giving us what we want, right? So aren't they better off? Here's why they're not. First of all, if they raise tariffs on American products, what they're essentially doing is telling their own people, their own consumers, that they are no longer allowed to get the products and services that they want. They're actually making their people worse off by denying them access to a marketplace that their people might want. So they're actually hurting their people in order to engage in that kind of tariff. The other side of that is, they're now propping up their, their in, in a domestic industry by protecting them from competition. But here's the problem. You really can't ultimately protect a company from competition. You just can't. There's too many ways around it, whether we're talking about the black market, whether we're talking about the gray market. Not to mention the fact that when you shelter a company from uh, competition, you're actually making them worse off because now they don't have the same incentive to appeal to customers. They don't have to improve their products to the same degree as the competitive company does. They don't have to you know, fight over prices as much. Why? Because they're getting, they're getting protection from the government. The same thing works with subsidies. When a government comes in and subsidizes that product, there's actually two problems with it. The first problem is they've now taxed their people. right? They, they've taken money away from their citizens, from their, the consumers, and everybody consumes stuff. right? They've taken money away from their people in order to give it to a particular industry. Right, that, that one industry that has protection from the government, they've, get, they've taken their money and they've given it to that company. So now when that person goes and buys that product, they've already subsidized that product to some degree through their taxes. Not to mention the fact that again, when the company looks at how do they organize, how do they develop, how do they conduct research and development in order to improve their product, they're less concerned about making the best product possible in a competitive market and they're more concerned about using revenues in order to hire lobbyists or to get in close with the government in order to keep getting the subsidies, right? They're no longer competing for your patronage, they're competing for political power. And that ultimately hurts a company because you will be less competitive, you will be less able to adapt if at some point the government subsidy goes away or now there's new people in power and they don't like you as much and now you've got to compete in an open market and you're not able to do it. You're no longer as competitive because you've been operating your business off of a model that was dependent upon tariffs, subsidies, and government connect, uh, connections, not making the best product and service possible for your consumers, for your customers. The other thing that is so interesting about subsidies, when a government subsidizes a company that is selling products overseas, so sometimes you'll talk about governments wanting to increase their imports as if that somehow makes your economy better by making goods and then sending them away, right? But you'll, you'll see politicians talk about this all the time. When a government subsidizes a company that is largely engaging in exports to other countries, sorry, I meant exports, not imports, exports to other countries. Here is what they're doing. And, and this is why we shouldn't be afraid of it, right? Because you'll, you'll get domestic businesses that say, well, it's not fair. The only reason why that company can produce something cheaper is because the government's giving them money. So you should, so our government should give us money. No. When a foreign government 
takes taxes away from their people and then gives it to one of their domestic companies in order to export goods to the United States, here's what is essentially happening. A foreign government is taxing their people in order to give us products at a cheaper price. Think about that. Because I want you to remember this the next time a U.S. politician says, well, in order to help our domestic industry, we have to give them tax subsidies. What they're really telling you is, I want to take money away from you and I want to give it to this company so they can make a cheaper product for someone overseas. Now, in that transaction, who just got wealthier? It wasn't you. It was somebody overseas. You could also argue that maybe it was the company that had the political connections that secured the subsidy. But even then, they're only wealthy for a while because if that subsidy goes away, they're not able to compete at the same level. So when another company, or so when another country is essentially taxing their citizens, stealing wealth away from their citizens in order to subsidize exports to the United States, honestly, our response should be, yeah, we'll take it. If you want to punish your own population to give us goods and services that make our lives better at a cheaper rate than we would otherwise have to pay for them, we'll take it. Because you cannot sustain that indefinitely. Either your people will rise up and will oppose it, or your companies will eventually hurt because they're not able to compete in an open and competitive market. It is not good policy. It does not make sense. All right, and this goes into the whole patriotic component. Because I've heard a lot of people say, I've heard a lot of people on the right say that, well, we have to pass these tariffs to protect American industries because we should, you know, we, we should care about American companies and American workers. Here's what I'm going to tell you. I do care about American companies and I do care about American workers, which is why I don't like government subsidies and tariffs. For all the reasons I just mentioned, again, it, it, it it gets the company to focus on government relationships instead of taking care of their customers. It makes them less competitive in an open market. Um, and then that third component that is so important that I need you to understand is that every time the government does that, it is punishing not only every consumer, not only every American that went to the store to go buy you know, a table and chairs or to go buy clothes or shoes or lumber. We're going to get to that later. Right? Every time the government does that, engages in that sort of that, that trade war mentality, that protectionist mentality, it is hurting every single American that goes to the store in order to buy those products that now have to buy them at higher prices. Right? That is what is transpiring when that takes place. But not only that, it's not just the, the consumer of the end product. It also hurts American industries. What do I mean by that? Well, let's say you have a tariff on sugar, like we do. You might say to yourself, well, look, what's the big deal as a consumer? I don't mind paying a, a, you know, a, a couple, you know, 20, 30 bucks a year more to buy sugar uh, if it means that we can employ a bunch of American workers in sugar farms in Florida, right? Maybe that's a sacrifice you're willing to make. Here's the issue, though. Every single company that uses sugar in what they produce is also getting hit with that additional cost. So it's not like you're going to the store and paying a little bit more for a bag of sugar. You're ultimately paying more for everything that includes sugar inside of it. Right now, the bill starts to go up for you as a consumer and the bill starts to go up for all of those other industries. So all of those other American industries that is using the product that is now the so-called beneficiary of the tariff or the subsidy, 
all of them are now poorer because they have to spend more for something than they otherwise would have in order to produce what it is you want to buy. That is a real problem. That, that's why I, I emphasize this so much is that economically, protectionist trade policy does not make sense from an economic perspective, from a moral perspective, or from a patriotic perspective. Now, having said that, are there times when a tariff might be appropriate? Yes, if you're at war with a country, it might make sense to engage in some sort of trade policy that is detrimental to the country that you're fighting against. But again, keep in mind, you're not making yourself better off economically by doing that. It's just that because you're at war with that country, the trade policy might hurt them more than it hurts you. It's, it's, like using, it's almost like using chemotherapy for cancer. It's not that chemotherapy is good for you. It's just a whole lot worse for the cancer than it is for you. And that's how you need to think of that when you're talking about a tariff or some sort of you know, trade war style policy with another country. Yes, if you're at war with them, it might make sense to strangle their trade, not because it makes you wealthier, but because it helps you win the war. So there's a different purpose for it in that particular instance. Now, could you also make the argument that there, uh, there could be trade restrictions for somebody that's engaging in slavery, right? So you have a, a country like North Korea or a country like China, which is, is using slave labor, essentially, through some of the camps that they run. Would, would it make sense to have certain restrictions on that? Yeah, you could make an argument for that. You could make an argument for that on, on, a, on a whole host of categories because there's something deeply immoral about enslaving someone else to your will, right? In the United States, we believe you have the right over your own labor and you can trade your labor for a paycheck or for wages or for goods or services, but nobody has a right to compel you to use your labor, right? So you, you can see it within that particular realm. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, what does this all have to do with the price of lumber? So obviously all of us right now are, are witnessing this skyrocketing of the cost of lumber. And the question everyone has is, how in the heck did lumber become so expensive all, you know, all of a sudden? Now, here's the first thing I wanna tell you. It's not that tariffs or trade policy explain you know, in, in its entirety the rising cost of lumber. That, that's one factor, right? There's a lot of factors. You've had forest fires, excuse me, forest fires. You've had uh, beetles in Canada where we get a significant portion of our, our uh, logs and whatnot in order to make lumber products. Um, all of that has factored in. COVID has factored into it significantly. Government regulations and the difficulty with setting up a sawmill has factored into it greatly. Uh, inflationary monetary policy has factored into the price of lumber going up. Um, you know, the housing boom that you had in the 2000s when the government was pumping money and they were forcing banks to give out loan and then they were bailing out banks at the same time. And you had a lot of materials that were being used for housing that it turned out that there wasn't the, same, there wasn't the actual demand in the marketplace that other would have, otherwise would have existed without the government constantly pumping up that marketplace. And then you had a huge drop off. And then for you know, a straight decade, you had reduced uh, demand for lumber. So all of those factors have gone into the price for lumber because of the, the new demand that we're seeing right now. And the fact that in that interim, you had sawmills shut down uh, due to the price of running them, due to the regulations associated with it, the taxes associated with it, the decreased demand. And now that we have a, another demand for lumber, it's not as if you can just open up a sawmill tomorrow and start you know, putting out you know, lumber, 
right? So all those factors go into the price of, of high lumber. But another factor that goes into it has to do with trade policy. So we had tariffs that we were leveraging against China, and then China was leveraging tariffs against us. There was tariffs against Canada. So here's how a lot of this process worked. We log in the United States, but we also take a lot of logs from Canada. We then ship that lumber, right? Our domestic lumber, we ship it over to China. China then makes products with that lumber and then ships back the products that we then buy in our market, right? And the, because of the trade war that was going on with China, a significant amount of the lumber that we used to ship over there dropped, right? They, they raised a bunch of tariffs on American lumber, so it no longer made sense for Chinese companies to buy American lumber. They bought it somewhere else. So that significantly dropped. Well, if you got less lumber going over there, if you got less, um, you know, everything going over there, your own domestic production is now hurt by that. You see, that's why I say whenever a government says we're going to engage in protectionist policy in order to help domestic industry, what they're really doing most of the time is they might be protecting a certain industry, but then they're hurting other ones because demand fluctuates. Now, if demand fluctuates in one country, but the company can still sell its products to a different company, well, then when demand comes back up in the United States, that company still has the capacity to meet that additional demand. But if they went out of business because you started a trade war or you were engaging in a trade war with another country and they had to shut down their factory, now all of a sudden demand increases in this country and we don't have the same capacity. And there is only one way, I always stress this, there is only one way that you can bring prices down while maintaining quality. And that is you have to be able to increase supply to meet the additional demand. So again, I don't want to make it like trade policy explains the whole lumber issue right now. It doesn't, but it does play an important factor and it illustrates the larger point I'm trying to make right now is that the economy is far more complex than what any politician would have you believe. They would have you believe they can just push a button over here. We're going to raise this tariff and that's going to help this industry. That may be true at the expense of all these other industries, at the expense of every single consumer. Well, we're just going to subsidize this industry in order to help them export into other markets. Okay, what you actually did was tax Americans for the purpose of selling cheaper products to foreign customers. That's what you did. And, and that's the reason why I wanted to go through these examples is because I think it is so important for us to understand something that is so commonly misunderstood because of all the subterfuge that are put out by politicians that want to get reelected and are counting on the fact that you're not going to go and dig a little bit deeper into their claims. Because again, it's superficially plausible. It seems to make sense to us. If you're not going to allow our companies to trade with you, we're not going to allow your companies to trade with us. And therefore, you know, we're in a better position now. No, you're not. You're both in a worse position. Right? Okay, you don't want to trade with us, so we're not going to trade with you. Well, at least you're hurting as much as we are. Maybe you are, maybe you aren't, but why should both of you hurt? Why wouldn't you want to hurt less? Because it's not overall good for your economy to hurt more, to pay more for products and services than you otherwise would. And that's why, again, I, this topic is so important, and I know I'm going to have people... Con I know as soon as I put this up on my podcast that we're talking about free trade... I'm going to have people immediately come in and start to comment. Here's all I'm asking you. Listen through this whole pot. Listen through all my examples. And when you do have a comment or you do have a question, 
Send me a question. Give me an example on where you think that protectionist trade policy might be better or might be good for us economically. Ask those questions. I'll be happy to answer them. All right, but just to, let's do a quick recap, right? So you can make the argument when you can hear this or when you hear a politician say this, you know which questions to ask them, all right? So first and foremost, free trade is nothing more than removing all the different extraneous barriers for people to engage in exchange. Whether I'm engaging in exchange with my neighbor or I'm engaging in exchange with somebody 8,000 miles away. That's what free trade is. It's removing all of the different artificial and legal barriers that would otherwise prevent us from engaging in exchange, okay? Point two, if someone refuses to buy something that you're selling, you are not automatically made better off by refusing to buy what they're selling. Now, should you have the right to not buy what they're selling if you don't want to? Yes. Should the government have the right to come in and tell you you can't buy it because of that situation? No. And that's what a tariff is. It is government force intruding on your decision with the producer on whether or not you're going to exchange, right? So you are not made, you are not necessarily made better off by refusing to buy something from somebody because they won't buy something from you. And this also, point three, the whole trade deficit question. I have a 100% trade deficit with my local coffee shop. I buy coffee from them, they buy nothing from me. Am I poorer as a result? No, I wanted the coffee more than I wanted the $5. They wanted the $5 more than the coffee. All right, so trade and exchange is multifaceted. Just because you have a trade imbalance or a deficit with one person or one entity or one company doesn't mean you're now poor. doesn't mean that they have some sort of advantage over you. In most of our lives, we do a business with a lot of companies that never do business with us or never buy uh, products from us, and then we sell things, whether it's products or services to some companies, who in turn, we never buy anything from them. So don't let politicians confuse you with this whole trade and balance question. Third point, or excuse me, fourth point, <laughs> I'm getting caught up here. Um, when a government subsidizes a particular industry to make them more competitive on a world market, what they're actually doing is taxing you in order to sell cheaper products to a foreign customer. And I guarantee you, that explanation, which is 100% spot on, doesn't sound anywhere, as, you will never hear that in a campaign speech. It is not a sexy way to talk about it, but that's exactly what happens when a politician says, we're gonna subsidize a particular industry in order to make their products more exportable to foreign customers. All right, that's the problem with subsidies. When a government talk, when a politician talks about tariffs, we're going to raise tariffs on a foreign company in order to protect domestic industry. Here's what I want you to hear. We're going to make it more expensive for you, both as a consumer and as a business owner. We're going to make it more expensive for you to get the product that you need, either to make your life better or to run your business in order to help one industry that happens to be more politically connected than you are. Again, you will never hear that in a political speech, but that is exactly what is happening, all right? And then when we talk about the whole concept of fair trade, yes, we would all like in an ideal situation where we have a free trade environment. We're not always going to get that. We should always negotiate as hard as we can in order to achieve that. 
But ultimately, we need to understand the economic realities of what happens when you engage in a trade war. And I'm going to leave you with this final example. So a lot of what I've talked about right now is kind of theory, or I've given you examples. I mentioned lumber, but I'm going to, I'm going to give you another core example that I hope will really hammer home this point for you. The Great Depression. Most people believe, because they've been taught in their textbooks, that when the stock market crashed, that started the Great Depression, and it lasted for over a decade. That is a lie. Here is why. If you go back and you look at 1929, when the stock market crashed, it was a significant crash. And the unemployment rate peaked out within about six months. It was right around 10%. That was the unemployment rate, 10%. J. Edgar Hoover, a Republican, decided that, well, the way we were going to protect all these companies that had just been crushed by the stock market, the way we we're going to protect all these industries is that we were going to engage in tariffs. So they had what they called the Smoot-Hawley Tariff. It was a piece of legislation that drastically raised tariffs on countries all over the world. All these countries that were trading with the United States, we raised our tariffs on them. What did those countries do? They raised tariffs back on us. Unemployment went from about 7% up to almost 23% within a couple of years. And then it stayed in double digits all throughout the Great Depression. Because when you make it harder to exchange, when you make it harder to do business, when you make it harder to trade, you are ultimately hurting the economy every single time. So please don't buy into this narrative that it is somehow patriotic or you care more about your country if you want protectionist trade policy. It's not true. If you want to hurt American consumers, if you want to hurt American businesses that rely on that exchange and trade, if you want to hurt them, then okay, hurt them. But don't pretend that it is, it is built under patriotism. It is not. And if you want some more great arguments on this, I'm going to give you a, a, a couple different books to read. Uh, one is called, it was a pamphlet that was put out by an economist named Frederick Bastiat. It was called The uh, Petition of the Candlemakers. And it is one of the best takedowns of the theory and the philosophy behind protectionism being good for domestic industry. He does an absolute excellent job. It's satire. It's, it's very sarcastic. Um, but it, it, it is a, it's just a great takedown, and it illustrates the fundamental problem with the protectionists. Okay? So, Petition of the Candlemakers by Frederick Bastiat. You can, you can read it for free online. You can, there's a, uh, you can go on YouTube. They actually did one with animations where it's, it's reading the text of that uh, pamphlet, but I would really recommend that one. Um, <clears throat> another good one is uh, go on to Milton Freedom, or excuse me, Milton Friedman, Free to Choose. You can literally go onto YouTube and Google Milton Friedman Free Trade. And he, ex he explains this. His Free to Choose video series also talks about the benefits of free trade. Um, I cannot emphasize this enough. I, I really do believe for economic, for moral, and for patriotic reasons, we should be encouraging as much trade and as much opportunity that we have for American consumers and American producers. And you don't get that by having the government come in and telling you what you can and cannot buy and who you can buy it from. All right. And last takeaway, promise this is the last one, last takeaway. Just remember when we're talking about trade, especially international trade, 
We are not talking about the government of the United States trading with the government of Singapore or the government of Germany or the government of, you know, whatever, Brazil. We're talking about people in these individual countries being, having the freedom to be able to exchange goods and services with as little interference by the government as possible. That is what trade really is. It's not between countries. It's between people. Thank you very much for joining us. Once again, check out the Y Minutes whenever you get a chance. And as I've always said, like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. Helps us get this out. Really helps us push it out to a larger audience. Thank you very much. If you got questions on tariffs, got questions on trade policy, if you're really, really mad at me on anything I said, do me a favor. Leave me a comment. What's the best place to do it? YouTube and Facebook. That is the best place to leave me comments. And I'll get on there and I'll respond. Thank you very much. And we'll see you next episode. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to GoodRanchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions, and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, GoodRanchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to GoodRanchers.com, use promo code Nick, and once again, thank you for listening.